You're listening to the Astrophotography Podcast. Capture the night sky. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Astrophotography Podcast. My name is Steve. I'm from Ontario Telescope and Accessories, and joining me as usual, and it would never be any other way, we have... Trevor from astrobackyard.com. You weren't sure if you were going to say it or if I was going to say it, No, right? I never know. I, <laughs> it, you got to make it obvious. I do. I do. But I probably won't. Okay. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is actually a bit of a record. Um, we're getting another podcast out after a week of launching our previous episode. So we're on episode 33. Thanks again for listening um, and subscribing. And the response and, is great. And we love you for it. Um, so we wanted to talk to you again and, uh, Trevor, you had some ideas to talk about, right? Yeah. I'm just thinking it's kind of, uh, it's, it's a great season for astrophotography, the warmer nights. And I really think it's, you know, this is the time when you're shooting the really wide field targets. So uh, a lot of people are traveling to dark sky sites and they're camping and they're in these situations where, uh, you can capture these wide field images, but you don't want to have an overly complicated setup that's you know hard to travel with and that requires um you know your laptop control so i'm thinking more of like the smaller stuff the sky tracker pros and the sky guiders and there's a there's a lot of like portable mounts out these days yeah it is a subset of the hobby that has taken off recently um i see a lot of uh, camera tracking or sorry star tracking camera mounts uh, going out the door um, whether it be from my Optron or Skywatcher or even just sm smaller equatorial mounts that are just quick and easy to set up. There's some really good advantages with a wide field setup. Um, you know, it, well, one, it's portable and fast to set up. Uh, polar alignment is a lot more forgiving, I find. W w would you find that yeah. to be the case? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you're shooting wide on a camera lens, like anything 100 millimeter or wider is really forgiving. Uh, that being said, though, if you're shooting if you're if you're shooting three minutes or four minutes, you still need to have that polar alignment spot on. But it, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up about polar alignment and these tracking mounts because the fact that these things are battery powered is a huge deal. So, like, I recently had a chance to look at the Fornax mounts Light Track Two, right? which is a really, really impressive mount. It's a, it's a different design, uh, and it does, it tracks amazing. There's no backlash or anything. It's, it's totally different than, than the other stuff I've used, but you need to plug it into a DC power source, and I was a little bit shocked by that because to me that's, you know, that makes a big difference. You, you want to have that portable battery power. There's situations where you want to set up at, at camping you want to set up on the beach or something, and, and you can't unless you're lugging around a battery pack. So yeah. to me, I think that's a game changer to have a portable lithium-ion battery in there. Yeah, well, well yeah. so the Sky Tracker has it built in, and the Sky Guider ha has a lithium battery built in. Mm -hmm. The Sky Watcher Star Adventure uses batteries, um, you know, so you get some good quality batteries in there, and it should last the night at least. So doesn't the doesn't the Skywatcher mount use AA batteries? It does, and that's what's nice about it because you can get AA batteries virtually anywhere. Actually, you know what? The first DSLR camera that I bought was a Pentax, and one oh, really? of the driving factors for me was that it used 
double A batteries because you that's can, so funny. It so I would use um, Energizer lithium batteries and it would last a long, long time. But my thinking behind it was that I can get batteries anywhere. If my battery died, then I was going to be stuck, and that's happened to me uh, with my current DSLR where my battery's dead and I didn't have yep. a spare. No, so, and then it's two hours, two, three hours till you're back up and running. Yeah. So and by it, that time it's usually too late. Yeah. Now having said that, poor planning on my part should have had a spare that was charged and charged ahead of time, but exactly. it's not always not always the case. The other thing with um that you can do actually, you know, you mentioned the Fornax mount not having a battery built into it. There's some really good portable batteries that you can get. Like the Celestron lithium battery, for example, um, you know they're less than two hundred bucks. It'll it'll power like the full size CGXL all night and still have power left over. Like, okay, and so is is this like the the Celestron power tank you're talking about, or yeah, something? Else? Yeah, the power tank, but the lithium power tank, it, the like the small one. Okay. will do will do all night CGXL. There's the Pro, which is double the size. Uh, it's got a cigarette lighter on it. Uh, you can probably power off more things with it okay. throughout the this night. Is, yeah, this is great information. This is something that, man, I've struggled with this. There's so many options for portable power. Yeah. And I've looked at the, you know, it's a common road people take. Well, they'll get the deep cycle marine battery yep. and uh, go that route and get a battery box. And that's kind of what I was leaning towards. I've never really had a really reliable battery system, but... I like the idea of one from Celestron that you said will go the distance. It will go the distance. Now, okay, let's put some reality to it, though. Um, it's a 7-amp-hour battery, mm-hmm. right? So that means you're either going to get 7 amps in one hour or you're going to get uh, 7 hours with one amp of right. draw, right? And then you can do the math from there. The larger one is about 17-amp-hour, same math. Right, seventeen okay. and one hour, or which is a lot of power uh, yep. at, at twelve volts, or um, seventeen hours at one amp. So you kind of have to figure out, like, add up what everything is going to take in terms of power. Uh, I really wouldn't recommend that you put any heavy dew control off of. Does that really eat it battery. up? It'll really eat it up. Um, so you know the deep cycle battery. I still use deep cycle batteries. I've got two. I have a 56 amp hour battery, deep cycle. Mm-hmm. It lasts the entire night. I run my mount. I run my dew control off of it. I never have any problems. I just have to charge it up the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gives me a lot of power for the the entire night. And, and I haven't done a whole lot of research in it, and I should because people have been asking me uh, recently. But I'm not sure if a deep cycle... No, I'm not sure if a lithium battery... Right, how it's going to react to uh, all that heavy usage with a dew heater. Yeah. So yeah. It, something to consider. The other thing, too, when you have a, a, a heavy-duty deep-cycle battery, you could run a computer off of it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, and that's a big – I mean, a lot of guys really need to run their laptop. You know, they've yeah. got their software on there. And... But with the – with these new options like the ASI Air and the StellarMate and other Raspberry Pi options or the stick PCs uh, and the remote into it with a tablet. Yes. Right? That's so, probably a better field solution anyways so that you don't run into these issues of, of having to have these big, heavy, power-hungry devices and, and needing a, a big power supply uh, like a battery in order to 
power everything up. And this is more weight you have to carry. That's right. That's a great point about the ASI Air and those Raspberry Pi devices. At the last star party I went to, I felt looking back, I feel a little bit stupid for bringing the whole laptop set up when uh, I could have run the ASI Air. It would have been a great situation for that. And sure enough, all the guys camped around me. That's what they were doing. They were sitting in their, their tent um, with their iPad or with their tablet, I should say, and running the ASI Air uh, nowhere near their setup. So It's yeah, okay. That's... You know what? They were cheating. You were doing it the real way. <laughs> like a sucker, yeah. <laughs> okay, you said it. I didn't. <laughs> I was stuck in uh, 2005 the way I was doing it. But, yeah, that's a great, uh, great um, point. And I'm glad you brought up those battery options because that's something a lot of people are looking for a good solution for. And it's right around now because people have camping trips coming up. They want to do some astrophotography while they're there. And you're kind of thinking about, okay, now what's realistic for me to bring with me and what do I need to, to power everything? That's right. And then, you know, you can still have your laptop with you if you're camping and, you know, processing the daytime. <laughs> yeah, quite the outdoors trip. You're, you're spending the whole time on your computer. <laughs> and this is 2019, right? So, um, yeah. Won't be too too long till we have. Uh, what what was that movie? Were they all the garbage in the world? They wouldn't live in space. <laughs> I don't uh, remember. Wally, Wally. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're sitting on those like um, floating chairs. Yeah, floating yeah, chairs. Lounging chairs. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, but uh, yeah, there's there's a good balance of doing some astro and on a you know an outdoorsy kind of camping trip. That's right. But like. I think that's that's those are some great points you brought up for battery choices. I still think that you want to be a minimalist when it comes to uh, traveling to these dark sky sites, especially if if astrophotography isn't your main what you're there to do. If you're actually you know going on a, on a camping trip too, so I would say pack lightly, shoot wide, bring don't even bring the telescope in a lot of these situations because the summer Milky Way is is often best enjoyed really wide. So just a small camera lens and a, and a battery-powered tracker, I think, is a really powerful system for yeah. this time of year. Well, some of the objects are, are very big, too, so you need that wide field, um, you know, even with a 200-millimeter lens. Totally. What's, what's And I'm going to make you say it, The one of your favorite objects just to the right of Scorpius. Oh, Roa Fucus? Yeah, yeah that's, you, that was pretty good. Oh, my, was I saying it wrong? No, so that's the, I believe that's the constellation. I think the actual object is the Rho-Ophiuchi Rho Cloud Complex. And that's that really colorful object that includes M4 and Antares and all that beautiful right. color. Yeah, yeah, it is a beautiful area. It, yep. it really is. I like I like the uh, blues and the yellows. There's lots of red out there. The, the yellow pops out really nice. That's it's nice so change. true. Eh? There's yeah. so much red. It's nice to get some of the, some blues and some some yellows in there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's where the reflection nebulas are really nice, and because uh, you get you get those blues. Yes. Right. And, yep. and and they get the blacks mixed into it, and if you process it right, it just look they just pop. You know what I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, and I, I've seen some great photos of the Iris Nebula recently. Yes. Is the is the browns. Yeah, which is surprising, right? Why would you want to see brown? But brown, that thick dust blocking starlight is so beautiful, yeah. like ghost nebula. You, you know, you know what has a really nice um, all that brown dust as well is between M eighty one and M eighty two. 
Yes. I've seen some images done really well. Now, this is a lot of integration time. The IFN. Yeah. The Integrated Flux Nebula. Yeah, to pick all that up. It's just beautiful. Absolutely. You need to go deep for that. Uh, And I was just thinking, speaking of uh, funny stories, it was two nights ago, it was clear. And uh, it was a really long day. I can't remember what I was doing, if I was just cutting the grass or... I was up early and it was like I was firing away on the North American Nebula and it was about 2.45 in the morning and I was like, oh man, I don't want to do a Meridian flip and I, I just want to go to bed and uh, so I walked outside to check on the scope and sure enough, the clouds had rolled in. I know you mentioned that it clouded over early for you and I was like, oh, it was like for the first time I was actually happy to see clouds so I could guilt-free close up shop and go to bed. It was just great timing. <laughs> it sounds like blasphemy. I know. I should never want clouds, but in that blasphemy. case... Blasphemy. Yeah. It's like that time I told you about a Nikon. You know, I'm coming around. There's <laughs> Nikon makes some great cameras. That D810... Um, is it the D810A? Is that, that's what yeah. it's called, right? Yep. That's a that's an amazing camera. It is. Yeah. Full frame. Um, full frame Astro. Yeah. Full frame. The QHY... 367 uses yep. the same sensor cooled cooled yeah and uh uh they have another one it's 24 megapixel um i think the 128 right is that what it is yeah 128c yeah, yeah. that's a full Color frame right. yeah full frame uh cooled as well 24 megapixels that sensor is a monster it is it's huge Beautiful. It's absolutely huge. You need you would need a three inch focuser for that, right? Ah, uh, no. would fit in there. Two point seven. Two point seven. Two point seven. Yeah, yeah. Two point seven will, I think, is ideal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. We started talking about polar alignment. <laughs> we got to here, um, but I was going to say with the, uh, I want to jump back to polar alignment for a moment, with uh, the camera camera mounts. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, what you want to do with your polar alignment, or one thing you want to do with tracking overall, there's some really good calculators online, and you can just um, do a Google search for pixel scale calculator, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll get an idea uh, of what your pixel scale is, and you know you'll see that you'll see that with um, your PhD tracking if you if you're guiding with PhD you'll see what your your error is in in uh, your pixel scale right so you know w- with DSLR imaging and wide field imaging you can have a pixel scale of five to seven uh, arc seconds per pixel mm-hmm. depending on the lens setup right and how wide it is so this is where I find that the polar alignment isn't as critical when you're like wide so if you have a 50 millimeter shot going mm-hmm. you're generally okay mm-hmm. would you agree absolutely like i said 100 and 100 and under you're you're really yeah safe yeah um and, and this is where that whole signal to noise ratio comes into play too i don't think that doing anything beyond three minutes on a wide field is all that necessary no no that's for sure and actually the only time i go to three or Three minutes is usually when I'm shooting narrowband. Right. In broadband, I find 90 seconds, two minutes to be great. Yeah, you get a lot of them. Because I think you also run the risk of, you know, planes flying by. Sure. Um, uh, other unidentified objects flying by. 
and, and that that can ruin your shot. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's no need to go to go ultra long in those situations. It's it's more about how many sub exposures can you take. Right. Yeah. Increase that signal to noise. Stack them up. Apply your calibration frames, and process it out and get get that beautiful image you were looking for. Yes, sir. So yeah, so that's uh, I don't know. What do you think on that, Trevor? I think we covered most of it. Yeah, I I think um, I think that's useful to a lot of people because they're in the situation where they're 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 they've got some summer trips coming up. Whether you're going to the cottage or you're going out somewhere darker than home, not in the backyard. And right. uh, yeah, whether you're bringing a battery or you've got a little a star tracker mount, or maybe you've, you're bringing the whole setup and a generator to just really maximize uh, the experience under dark skies. I know I know people that do that. I know that the Pegasus Astro guys they they image on a mountain and they go on these like two, three, four day trips yep. where they've got full setups out in these amazing locations. So I know there's people doing that too. Yeah, one day I'll get there. One day, yeah, one day. I know that would be. <laughs> that's the way to do it, eh? Yep, that's the way to like, do it. I'm doing astrophotography. I'm climbing a mountain. I'll see you in a week. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, uh, Trevor. Oh, God, what? Uh, do you know how to get a, a baby astronaut to sleep? No, how? You rock it. That's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. That's better than some of the ones you were telling me earlier. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's like my favorite part of the whole podcast. Yeah, that's why you save it for last. I save it for last. Yeah, so I hope everyone lets us know what they think of the new intro music. And the outro. And the outro, of course, yep. Which, it might even actually be starting to play right now. I think it is. Okay. Clear skies, everyone. Clear skies. <laughs>